The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello. Welcome to the Big Blue View Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum. Chris, how are you doing today? Not doing pretty good. You know, uh, Borderlands 3 just got announced, so I'm kind of hyped for that, but got to get my head back in the game for football. <laughs> All right. We're, we're still plugging away with football, and as we've been doing that, there's been some football things happening not a lot of football things happening at the same time it it feels like we're at a point where a lot of things feel like they should be happening but it's just kind of recycled things of what has been happening throughout the offseason and a lot of that comes with what we've seen this past week at the the owners meetings out in Arizona I mean, a lot of new things did happen, like rule changes, uh, pass interference, now reviewable with a challenge. Uh, So there are new things coming around, but in the sense of there's a lot of things that are just getting recycled, and that is very much what's happening with the Giants. As we heard a lot of uh, John Mara and Steve Tisch talk, we heard Pat Shermer talk a little bit. This was really his first time talking um, since the Odell Beckham trade, we heard Dave Gettleman talk again, most recently on the NFL Network's Good Morning Football, just kind of repeating a lot of things that have been heard really since the last time he spoke to the media. But we're going to just dive into a couple things that was said by by that group as a whole. They're all kind of, they are giving mostly a a connected and and on brand message but i still think there's a few holes there and i think you see a lot of media that are reporting what has been said and that's their jobs and there hasn't been a whole bunch of really looking into this because a lot of what they've been saying i think is just still kind of flawed a little bit once you look at it for longer than like maybe four seconds so one of the things they have been talking about is is the landon collins decision and letting him walk and then his is the deal he got from Washington. Uh, and the line there from uh, basically all of the Giants decision makers is they had a value in mind for Collins. They thought the franchise tag was was too high. And then they thought the Washington deal was too high and they were never going to hit that price. My first problem with this is 
the the Washington deal doesn't have any bearing on what the Giants could have gotten. If they hadn't given Collins an extension before he hit the free agent market, they could have gotten him lower than that price. That's the point of getting your guys on extensions early so they don't hit the free agent market and get those deals from other teams. That's why you get those guys in early. So I think as as we talk about Collins, that is... That's been one of my biggest problems that, oh, we he got that massive deal from Washington. We were never going to hit that. But but you didn't have to in order to keep Collins. Now, if there, if your pricing on him was maybe significantly lower at $5 million per year or something, then that's a different story and maybe we question how you valued Collins. But to, to use that Washington deal as, oh, we were never going to hit that number, you didn't have to. No, I, but that's something the Giants just consistently do. They always let their players hit the free market, and then they're bidding against 31 other teams. I think the last player the Giants got signed before he, well, other than Odell Beckham, before he hit the free market was Will Beatty, and that was a long time ago. And yeah, I see Giants fans constantly shaking their heads at how Howie Roseman and the Eagles can get guys signed for way under market value. Well, that's because they signed them a year or two years before they hit, they're able to hit the free market. So they're only bidding against themselves. Yeah, that's, that's how you get below market deals. And even o- Odell Beckham, for what his deal was going to be, would end up being below market. It's crazy below market now for Cleveland because they don't have any of the signing bonus on their cap. But as we see, we see the rumors of Julio Jones is going to get a new deal soon. Even AJ Green is going to get a new deal soon. The wide receivers who are going to be free agents over the next couple of years, when you look at Michael uh, like Thomas, Michael Thomas uh, uh, Amari, and Cooper. Amari Cooper, yeah, players like that. So getting Beckham on that deal was going to be good. You could have done that with other players. And that's... Just kind of the problem of, of using Collins' open market value. The the point of getting him on an extension earlier is is that you don't have to meet those prices. And I think that leads into another thing. Uh, well, they, the Beckham trade, of course, consistently brought up, and everyone is putting a lot of value on Jabril Peppers. And continually, the biggest disconnect between what the common perception of the Beckham return was and how the Giants have at least publicly defended it is how how Jabril Peppers is valued. Gettleman is going to continue to say that, you know, he was a former first round pick and, you know, so that equals a first round pick, but that's bogus. Um, that's not how, because, the, that, that yeah, isn't that's, how any of this works. That's not how trade value works. If that's the case, they traded Eli Apple a first round pick for a fourth and a seventh during the season. So clearly they apparently got very ripped off there. So... When you look at Peppers, Peppers almost like has to be good, and he just hasn't been that player to this point. Again, when the trade happened, I, I wrote up Peppers, and he's basically just a, a poor man's version of Collins. And if you want to, you know, talk about the cap, you're only paying Peppers you know, 1.4 million this year. It, it only goes up a little bit next year. But then if you pick up his fifth year option, that's like the average of the top 10 contracts so he's going to get a significant price raise in in two years if he's still 
even on the team at that point. And if you're not picking up the fifth year option, that probably means he wasn't good and that you completely whiffed on that pick. But that's that's a different story. But Peppers is he is that box safety. He has some deep ability, but he has struggled in coverage, gave up five touchdowns last year. Uh, Sports Info Solutions charted him with five touchdowns allowed, and a lot of it was just getting bullied by bigger tight ends, especially in the red zone. Uh, he just gets pushed around, so that's that's not promising. So to consistently hype him up as a first-round value in what you got back is that it's just absolutely 100% just a, a flawed piece of value there. Yeah, here is what Dave Gettleman said. He said, he also has punt return ability, and at the bottom line, he's a quality three-down player. In the old days when I started, you could have what we call a box safety, a guy who is a two-down box safety. You can't anymore. The game has evolved, and your safeties have to be legitimate three-down players, and that's what Jabril is. That, I, yes, he is a three down player if you play him for three downs but normally you are not taking your box safety off of the field in nickel downs they never took landon collins off the field they you have to be you might have to be smart about how you play them try not to put them in situations where they're going to get exploited if they're not almost cornerback ability in coverage but to say that a box safety is only a two down player I, th- I think, you know, Landon Collins, Cam Chancellor, guys like that are can be huge on third down, especially in a blitz-happy defense. Yeah, Jabril Peppers does fill the Landon Collins role, but just significantly worse at everything Landon Collins did. So and maybe with Betcher, he plays a little better than he did with Greg Williams. And, and maybe that's not a stretch because we... You kind of joke if you see some of the screenshots of the Greg Williams safety that's like 25 yards down the People field. People lined up in the parking when lot. When he lines up. Jabril Peppers played a lot of that in 2017. He played less of that in, in 2018, but then he still struggled in coverage. So maybe he improves, but the Giants are really banking heavily on that happening. And that's that's still a huge bet. When you trade for veteran players, and I've been a big proponent of trading for veteran players, not a proponent of trading stars like Odell Beckham to to get them, more a proponent of sending like fifth round picks to get veteran players. But when you trade for veteran players and guys already in the NFL, you really usually know who these guys are, and that's why the value comes back. But Peppers, it's still like having a draft pick because you don't really know what he is. And that's, I still think, just a big flaw in grading that Beckham trade. And as we move on, of course, the the Beckham trade was obviously a thing brought up to to everyone all of the decision makers to Sherman to Gettleman to Mara to Tish they all said it was you know a football decision there was there was no you know there there was nothing off the field John Mara said he reluctantly agreed because he he did like Beckham a lot and as the owner of the team you know you can say no that's just one part but and then the Eli Manning thing, they said, it's not a sentimental thing. It's a football decision. We think Eli Manning can still play. Uh, and to to put out that both the Beckham and Manning decisions are strictly football decisions, I think should make some people worry about future football decisions um, because 
those are two incredibly flawed football decisions if they were only football decisions. Yeah, and yeah, John Mara said that there was no sentiment involved in really doubling down on Eli, and I, I got to call shenanigans on that one. Not not when Gettleman was up in front of the media and almost in tears, basically Im- imploring everybody to just leave Eli alone, and talking about the you know how the false narrative and all of that. Yeah, the, there's plenty of sentiment there, and I don't begrudge them loving the guy. But at a certain point, it's their football decisions have to be about the good of the team, and not just because you were emotionally invested with a player who helped you win a couple championships almost a decade ago. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And to, and to frame those as football decisions, just. It's okay. We we all know they're not. You didn't just trade Odell Beckham because it made you a better football team. In no way did that trade make the Giants better right now. It maybe, maybe makes them better in the future if you hit on the 17th pick, which, you know, is not a given. Just because you have a first-round pick does not mean you use it well. And and so as we look at the the future of the franchise, I think you know they continue to use the word building, and that the Giants are are getting you know future value and building towards something. So they have the sixth pick, they have the seventeenth pick, they have what twelve picks overall in this draft, and this is kind of it's it's still just you know, towing the line between rebuild and and competing. And that's, I think, why they use building, which in a sense is is not wrong, but just the way they've done it is is incredibly flawed. So the Giants right now, and this is, I'm going to quote a a post from Chase Stewart at Football Perspective. Uh, You looked at how every team in the NFL right now is constructed in regards of at how concentrated their salary cap is on the the top tier of players on the team. And no team in the NFL right now, and this is without counting dead money, so this is no Olivier Vernon doesn't count, Odell Beckham doesn't count, uh, even Damon Harrison does not count here. Still, no team in the NFL has a higher concentration of their cap on the highly paid players than the Giants do. This is still a, a stars and scrubs a type of, of roster construction without any of the stars left on the roster. If you want to make the case for, for Saquon Barkley, like, the okay, he's one of the highest paid running backs in the league already. But if you look at the other guys who the Giants are, are paying highly right now, it's Eli Manning, it's Nate Solder, Janoris Jenkins, Alec Ogletree, uh, Kevin Zeitler, Golden Tate. This is a still a high concentration of a lot of money on these top players who just on other teams would not be these top players at top of the market and that high salary concentration is still true if you take out quarterback if you look at how teams are constructed without a quarterback so this is for all teams the Giants are then the second most heavy at the top and only Denver beats them out but Denver has some stars they have the you know the Von Millers the Chris Harris they they have really good players the Giants just don't have that and and I think that's that's going to absolutely be a problem in 2019 
Definitely. Yeah, the One of the complaints about the Giants roster was how top-heavy they were under Jerry Reese, and they still are. It's just that now they're, they're top-heavy with the salary concentrated on players who aren't going to be impact players. I, Kevin Zeitler is one of the best guards in the game right now. But, and this is coming from somebody who believes guards are important. It's still not an, a real impact position. It was different when you had players who directly affected the score. When you have a guy like, guys like JPP and Olivier Vernon affecting the passing game and affecting the running game. Or you have Odell Beckham who could make a game-changing play on any snap and basically what basically did that just about every game now yes there are ways forward at least on offense but their roster construction is just plain wonky and yes we are not done with the process yet there's still the draft and you know Gettleman talked about how it what how the volume of talent was more important than having great individual players and yes you would like to have more meat on the bone but you still need impact players yeah and then as you look going forward i think some people are going to point to the amount of of cap space that has been opened up for 2020 through some of these moves and that is to a sense is true. There is cap space. The Giants per over the cap right now are looking at about $85.9 million in cap space for 2020. The problem with that is there's still going to be a whole bunch of holes on the roster and having cap space is not a competitive advantage anymore because everyone has cap space. There are rarely teams, except for the Giants, right now (laughs) at this point in 2019, who are really hamstrung by the cap. Cap space is consistently opening. Teams have figured out how to get more cap space. And the Giants, for having almost $86 million in cap space in 2020, right now that's projected to only be the 10th most in 2020. So the Giants aren't even like the top in cap space after clearing up all this room. And there's there's deals that are going to change this. But right now, the Cowboys, Texans, Dolphins, Ravens, Seahawks, Colts, Bills, Rams, and Patriots have more 2020 cap space open than the Giants do. So you're not even giving yourself a competitive advantage by creating this cap space because at this point, just everyone has it. It's just so easily created right now and teams know how to structure contracts or restructure contracts or or push some money into future years to create cap space that just having that cap space uh, does... It doesn't help you. And when you look at who is hitting free agency, look at the guys who hit free agency this year and got those mega deals. It's not like super top of the market guys. These are pretty good players, uh, but they're not guys who are going to just step right in and change franchises. Those guys are the Odell Beckhams that you have and draft and develop. When you have those superstars, that's why you do not let them go. So to, to look at what the Giants have and what they're going to look like in the future it's just it's incredibly flawed to just think what they have right now just automatically means they're going to be in a position to be upgraded because 
almost everyone is in the same position right now. That's just how the NFL is working. Yeah, and like you said, looking at the free agent class next year, guys like Jadavian Clowney and Marcus Lawrence, they probably will not be hitting free agency. The top of the line guys will probably be getting re-signed by their teams. So then they're looking at the, you know, either the good players who are going to want mega contracts that their current teams just can't afford, which is going to be expensive for whoever does sign them, or you're the first wave wave of free agency is going to be either one and a half or second tier players. And that's just not ideal. And at that point you're spending money for the sake of spending money. I'm not saying they can't add talent, but probably not going to be getting real game changers. Yeah. When, when you're looking at free agency, it's when you get guys like Golden Tate, who is like a, a top eight wide receiver in guarantees right now. And there's no offense to Golden Tate. That's just probably not where he should be valued at this point. And when you look at all the other deals given out in free agency, it's always crazy money. So just to think that this open cap space automatically means there's upgrades to be had uh, and that it's going to happen. It, it's, it's not particularly true. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The biggest thing about the roster construction is it doesn't really matter if there's no quarterback and they don't figure out quarterback at some point. We still don't know if that's going to be a 2019 decision or if it's a 2020 decision or at this point a 2021 decision. Um <laughs> But you know, one of the biggest rumors going around continues to be Josh Rosen. 
it's looking more and more likely that the Cardinals are going to draft Kyler Murray first overall. Now, we've talked about Josh Rosen and why it makes sense for the Giants to be interested. Because of the the signing bonus that gets charged to Arizona, Rosen's going to be like $1.2 million on the cap. That's nothing for a backup quarterback. So if he's a starter, that's a great price. and, And that opens up options for building the roster. But I think what we want to do today, instead of just talking about why Rosen makes sense, is kind of dig into Rosen a little more uh, to see if he can be salvaged in another area. As much as, you know, some people liked Rosen uh, and still have a positive outlook on him, you know, there's a reason why Arizona is potentially just moving on from him after a year. One is they think Kyler Murray is going to be an upgrade at quarterback, and I don't blame them for that because I think Kyler Murray is a very good quarterback prospect. And Josh Rosen last year had one of the worst statistical quarterback seasons we've seen in quite some time. Uh, He was easily last in DVOA per Football Outsiders, which is their efficiency metric. He was almost twice as bad as Josh Allen by DYAR, which is their counting stat. And those were the two worst quarterbacks uh, who qualified uh, last year. So uh, Rosen was incredibly bad. He pretty much started the whole season. I did not have a lot to work with. So want to kind of just dig in to see uh, what Rosen it can possibly be and if he can be salvaged as as we move on. Yeah, I mean, Rosen was very highly regarded last year. For a lot of people, he was QB1. Uh, personally, I had him as QB3 because Baker Mayfield, and I just had maybe just a little bit more confidence in Sam Darnold just in in the elements in New York. Yeah, I did wonder about uh, Rosen's arm strength because I noticed that when he was forced off platform, when he couldn't use his lower body and have those really crisp, clean mechanics that he definitely has, that his arm kind of trended a little bit more towards, we'll say, mediocre. And his accuracy did seem to fall off when he couldn't set his feet and drive the ball with his lower body. Rosen is an adequate athlete for a quarterback. Not that that matters a whole lot, but he does have some ability to get out and move, which would play well in Pat Shermer's offense. You know, we saw last year that probably the times Eli Manning looked best was when he was rolling out in bootlegs. So maybe, talking about salvaging him, maybe he does have more upside in the Giants offense, such as it is and such as as it will be going forward, than he had in Arizona. Yeah, and I think that could be the case. There is a case that Rosen can be helped in a different setting with a different coaching staff. And let's let's remember, as bad as the, the surrounding talent was at some points in Arizona, and the offensive line went through like 12 starters during the course of the season, 
that that the coaching staff just wasn't using the players available very well. You know, Mike McCoy was fired before midseason. Um, that's how poorly he put that together. I think uh, Byron Lefwich, once he stepped in as the offensive coordinator and play caller, he, he still struggled a little bit in his first time in that role. So I just want to dig into is some of Rosen's numbers and just to kind of try to find out if if he can be salvaged or not. And so first I took a look at what he did just when he had throws from uh, a clean pocket without pressure. And we've talked about this before, but uh, when you're trying to project what a quarterback can be, throws from a clean pocket are the most predictive. I think how quarterbacks handle pressure, it's an important part to evaluate. But if you're trying to predict what a quarterback is going to look like going forward, you want to see what he does uh, from a clean pocket because that gives you your best look at what they are just physically able to do in those conditions. So Rosen was just 23rd in on-target percentage on throws from a clean pocket last year, and that's per Sports Info Solutions. But he still had a 4.9% touchdown rate and 3.5% interception rate. Those aren't great numbers, but if we compare that to what Eli Manning did with the Giants last year from a clean pocket, again, so inside the pocket, no pressure. Manning was 24th in on-target percentage on those throws, had a 3.2% touchdown rate, and a 4.3% interception rate. Eli was one of five quarterbacks who had at least 100 attempts from a clean pocket last year to have a worse interception rate than touchdown rate on those throws. And those Quarterbacks were Case Keenum, Mitchell Trubisky, Blake Bortles, all of which were under 1% difference. Then Eli Manning has a 1.1% difference. And then Josh Allen, who was pretty bad, at a 2.7% difference. So that obviously not great. So Rosen did not have great numbers from a clean pocket, but Eli had potentially worse numbers from a clean pocket. And then if you look at what they were dealing with uh, in terms of time to throw and pressure rate, Rosen had a per next-gen stats 2.77 seconds to throw. And per Football Outsiders, the Arizona offensive line was 29th in pressure rate allowed on offense. You look at Eli with 2.65 seconds time to throw. And the Giants were only 17th in pressure rate allowed per football outsiders. And some of that has to do with the time to throw, because time to throw can be a a quarterback statistic. That's not necessarily, you know, a pressure statistic. I think the Giants did made an effort to get the ball out quickly. But still, even that, there wasn't a huge difference in the time to throw between the two. And Rosen was under pressure way more often. And then when we go into the supporting cast and just how the offense was structured. So per next-gen stats, Rosen threw into tight coverage, which was a yard of separation or fewer on 21.6% of his throws. That was the most of any qualified quarterback last year. While throwing the ball at 8.4 yards down the field on average, Eli was only 
tight coverage on 18.8% of throws and only threw the ball 7.2 yards down the field on average, which, which was one of the lower figures. So if you put Rosen into that structure with more open throws and shorter throws, which is where the NFL is going right now. I think that helps him out greatly. So if you look at the aggressiveness and the average aggressiveness over the past three years per next-gen stats, it's gone down from 19.3% of league-wide throws into tight coverage in 2016, down to 17.7% in 17, and down to 15.9% in 2018. Um, so just more open throws. That's how the NFL is going. And you look at the average amount of, of where balls are getting thrown down the field, uh, that's like, getting lower too. So passes are shorter. They're getting more open. And that's... That's that, just that's, a smart way to do it. You make things easier on yourself. Yeah, and it, it's a template that can be followed for Rosen wherever he goes. It's something that happened with, if you look at Jared Goff, how he went in his a year with Jeff Fisher into his first year with Sean McVay. So in Jared Goff's 2016 season, his rookie season, he threw into tight coverage 25.9% of the time, uh, and his average depth of target was 7.5 yards down the field. That's per next-gen stats. And then you go into 2017, his throws into tight coverage decreased to 14.3%, but he threw further down the field on average at 8.1. So if you look at some of the better offenses in the league right now, they're offenses that are throwing into tight coverage less often, but throwing down the field more often. So they're scheming up these open throws. So if you get a coach who can work that for Rosen, and potentially Shermer could do that, you know, that's, I think that's the recipe for getting Rosen into just a better structure and more like what he did in college and away from whatever happened in Arizona last year. <laughs> yeah, whatever that was. And even without Odell Beckham, which any quarterback would be better with Odell Beckham, I, I think we pretty much, that's pretty much a given, right? Yeah, there's no question about that. And I mean, we've talked about the Eli's splits with and without Beckham since yeah. 2014 and goes from a league average quarterback to one of the league's worst quarterbacks. <laughs> to Brock Osweiler. Yeah, basically. Yeah, so, but the Giants do still have some pieces, which is why I do believe there is a way forward on offense. Maybe not as easy as it could have been, not as good as it could have been. But with Sterling Shepard, with his route running and technique and tools that we talked about with Matt Harmon a couple weeks ago, and Evan Ingram with his ability to be a mismatch against safeties and linebackers, and just how dangerous a running back can be when used properly, used how... New Orleans uses Alvin Kamara. They could, the Giants could use Saquon Barkley that way, and they could use Evan Ingram the way the 49ers use George Kittle. That does create fairly big throwing windows and good mismatches. So that could make things easier on a player like Rosen and maybe even play into his strengths than, as you put it, whatever it was in Arizona last year. Yeah, and it's something, and this can, can go for whatever quarterback gets put in this scenario if, you know, <laughs> there is a new quarterback put in this scenario. So uh, 
having the players like uh, Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram and even Saquon Barkley all, you know, run after the catch monsters, potentially. And it's something I wrote about on Big Blue View after Golden Tate signed of what the Giants could potentially look like as just a very heavy yards after the catch team. And I wouldn't be surprised if they are like the most heavy yards after the catch team this year because they were already up there last year uh, but they had Odell Beckham who was getting down the field and only had like 32% of his yards coming after the catch because he was targeted downfield often and obviously the further down the field you're targeted the less likely you are to have yards after the catch so that's not to say that Beckham was a bad yards after the catch player he was just targeted downfield more so that limits the opportunity but you have someone like Tate who is very much a a short target big yards after the catch type of guy and that could make something easier for the quarterback so uh, there's there's a system that could work there. I think you have a higher ceiling just overall as an offense if you do have guys who can get down the field because from just expected points, um, we'll just bring that into it for a little bit. Uh, By expected points, the further down the field you throw the ball, the more expected points uh, you're getting because just the better things happen down the field, so many more things need to go right for a short pass to become a big play. And that's kind of what the Giants are setting up to be right now, regardless of who the quarterback is. Uh, But I think it's something that will probably help Eli a little bit he won't have to do as much. It would potentially help Rosen and could potentially help whoever the quarterback is to you know get some of the easier throws, but that's putting now a lot of stress on the skill position players to make things happen rather than really getting the most potential out of an offense. Well, there's nothing new there. The offense has, since 2014, the offense pretty much was... Odell in a prayer and now it's pretty much going to be Saquon in a prayer yeah and then on top of that you have to try to figure out how to use those players better you don't want Barkley catching his average pass like three yards behind the line of scrimmage Uh, that's just not how you run a successful offense you want to try to get Ingram down the field a little more we talked about Shepard who does have the ability to get down the field you don't want everything happening within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage Uh, that can work it has worked in the past but that's just asking so many things to go right And, and and I think that's the offense the Giants are just setting up right now yeah yeah as I've said they could Actually, they should go to school on how the Saints run their offense, how the Rams run their offense using personnel and alignment to manipulate defenses and then playing against the trend and expectations from those alignments. They can look at how, or they can go to school on how the 49ers run their offense. They do have the personnel to field effective two-back and two-tight end sets with Engram and Ellison and Eli Penny. So they can use a lot of these things on which there is more than enough tape to play copycat and recombine them to fit their own roster. They just 
they just have to do it. Yeah, and and to not get too far into another topic, but really none of this matters if the Giants are still going to use heavy personnel, allow the defense to load up the box, uh, and then run for a yard on first down. When that sets up second and long, and then uh, third and long, and that just puts the passing game in a hole to begin with. And then they punt. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you're looking, I think, Washington coach Jay Gruden was was talking about second and long time how Washington was was really bad at setting those up and Ben Baldwin of the Athletic uh, did some research into that to see if Gruden was correct and he wasn't but when he was doing his research he came up that the offense with the most second down plays with eight or more yards to go in 2018 was the New York Giants. Some comes from incompletions, some comes from sacks, but a lot of it comes from trying to run up the gut on first down and not gaining a lot of yards. And and that's something that sets the offense back no matter, you know, who you have out there or who you have, you know, running the ball. If you're allowing the the defense to stack the box against a heavy formation, runs are not going to be successful. And and that's that's a whole other thing. We'll, we'll dig into that more. Uh, but as much as the quarterback is going to matter, I think the Giants' philosophy and how they set up this offense uh, is going to be just as important. I Probably even more important, I think. And you can kind of tell from the moves they've made, you know, by trading Odell Beckham, by making a point of acquiring Kevin Zeitler, they want to run the ball. But if they're going to do it successfully, they're going to have to find a way to get the numbers on their side. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't really matter who is going to you know, be under center or in shotgun or whatever, because the teams don't really use under center anymore as much as they used to. But uh, that's not going to matter if first down is Barkley running into a nine-man box on defense. Uh, As good as Saquon Barkley can be, as improved as the offensive line might be, you just, you don't win there. So if there's still second and longs and third and longs, the quarterback might not matter as much unless, you know, it's Russell Wilson in Seattle who consistently bailed the Seahawks out of, you know, third and long situations last year. But if I swear his jersey had a cape on it. Yeah, if it's continually second and third and long and you're trying to do this run yards after the catch offense, then that's not going to work at all. So, I mean, we're, we're not in that place yet, but that's kind of where this offense looks like it's leading. So as you try to figure out who is going to be a part of it or who can improve it, uh, who can be added to it, you kind of have to have that in mind. And and how that offense is set up uh, really is going to shape who can be successful in it and whether that offense in general is going to be successful. Yeah, if if the offense isn't designed well, if it isn't designed to put players in position to win it doesn't it's not going to matter if they have Eli Manning or Josh Rosen or Dwayne Haskins or Kyler Murray or I don't know if they somehow get Johnny Unitas in his prime back there it's not going to matter 
Right. So that's that's where we sit with Eli Manning at this point. It's where we sit with potentially Josh Rosen. It's where we sit with potentially a, a first or second round quarterback in the draft. The rest of those options we're going to continue to look into. Oh, we still have four weeks before the draft. Oh, we still have four weeks before the draft. Hopefully that comes sooner than that sounds. So we're going to end this episode here. You can find this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review if you have not. Uh, it helps us out greatly. And read our work on BigBlueView.com. You can follow Big Blue View on Twitter at Big Blue View. You can follow Big Blue View on Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You can find Chris on Twitter at Raptor MKII. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.